Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. My name's Clint Whitcomb, and I've been privileged to have the opportunity to share the message today to round out week seven of a sermon series called There Is More, where hopefully you've been encouraged to take that next step with your journey with Christ, to realize that there is more that God wants us to realize and feel and experience. So signs, they're everywhere, even on Cross Point stage. Everywhere we go, there are signs. Some signs tell us that we're headed in the right direction. Other signs tell us that maybe we're headed in the wrong direction. We're headed towards a dead end or we're on the wrong side of a one-way. Some t- signs tell us about a place and maybe what it does. Many signs regulate how fast we can drive, which I don't think is fast enough. Can I get an amen in here? Amen. Some signs, which I think are the worst, tell us to stop and slow down. Signs quite simply are made to make our lives safer and simpler. Over the past few months, through my daily devotional time in God's Word and through some supplemental reading that my buddy Doug Frizzell gave me, I feel like God's been telling me that we need to be ready to make good decisions, that when life sends you a stop sign, to be able to make the right choice. And I'm not talking about when we're cruising down 1st Street Northwest here and we're heading up to the stoplight stop and we have a decision to make. I would contend that it's an important decision. Do we head straight and go to Four Queens or take a right and go to Dairy Queen? <laughs> it's a decision I'm faced with often. Nah, that's not what I'm talking about. See, what I'm talking about is the pivotal decisions that we have to make in our life. The different directions that life can go based on the path that we choose to take at that life's stop sign. Rather, I'm talking about either choosing a path that everyone else is taking or choosing to take the path that no one else is willing to take. Either the direction of continuing the painful cycle that we've become accustomed to and accepted or the path maybe that we, we long for. A pivotal decision to stay right where we are or to begin the work to become that better person we need to be. A decision to defend a friend or to slander that friend. A decision to stay quiet or to speak up. To enter into a relationship or stay out of it. To continue a relationship to end it. To accept a job or to stay put, to try to get back at that person or group or to forgive them, a decision to give something up or continue doing it, a decision to stay disciplined or to cave in. These are the pivotal moments where a decision that is made can have a lasting impact on our lives and to the people around us that we call important. We have several of these, I'd say, each day. Many throughout our lifetime, we can look back at and say one of the two things. I'm so glad I chose two, 
or I wish I would have. See, decisions that we can make because we know there is more. More that God wants us to do. More that God wants us to experience. More freedom that God wants us to walk in. There is more peace he wants you to feel. More love that God wants you to experience. There is more impact that he wants you to make. More spiritual gifts that he wants you to unwrap and deploy into the kingdom. There is more, there is more that God has for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to the cross for each and every one of us. I pray that throughout this series, you've been speaking to each one of us. I pray that we would help, help us to grasp that there is more that you want for each one of us, more that you want each one of us to experience. I pray that you would just open up our hearts to receive your message. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be swirling around today and your presence would be felt. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as several of my friends can attest to, and even some of my family members, I've begun calling these pivotal forks in the road, these uh, life's stop signs, Kadesh Barnea moments. So why do I call these Kadesh Barnea moments? Well, let me explain. God's people, the Israelites, through God's power, had just left Egypt in the direction of a land of promise. The Israelites had been in Egypt for about 400 years. Many of these years, they were in bondage and slavery to the Pharaoh of Egypt. These Israelites, after these 10 plagues of Egypt, were granted the release from their bondage and began their journey towards the promised land. The promised land, the holy land, the land of promise, Canaan, was a land that God had promised Abraham, the grandfather of the Israelites, for generations that they would inherit, that they would receive. These Israelites had just witnessed God's power through the ten plagues of Egypt. If you want to read it, it's in the Old Testament towards the beginning. And as they left Egypt, Egypt realized they just gave up their entire labor force, so they said, that was dumb, so they sent their army in pursuit of the Israelites. And we all know what happens next, right? They get to this big body of water and they realize there's no boats waiting for us. What are we going to do? And what's God do? He parts the water, allows the Israelites safe passage through the gap in the water. And the Egyptians see this and they go, oh, this looks like a good path. And they continue to follow the Israelites and God swallows them up, kills the entire Egyptian army. They have witnessed God doing some amazing things in a short amount of time. So now they have crossed the Red Sea miraculously, and they're on their journey to the promised land. And from where they came out at Horeb to Kadesh Barnea would be about an 11-day journey. So Kadesh Barnea was a location, and at this location, the Israelites, God's people, would have to make a decision, a, a pivotal decision at that. They could continue through to Canaan, the promised land, or retreat in a different direction, choice would need to be made. We pick this up here in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, and verses 21 through 27. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders from the 12 tri tri tribes rather of Judah. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through the Negev 
and came to Hebron, where Ahiman and Shishi and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. That is a tongue full. When they reached the valley of Eskel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskel because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring this land. They came back to Moses and Aaron, who were the leaders of the Israelite community at this time. There at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into this land in which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So the Israelites send out 12 spies into this land. And they come back with a report confirming it's everything they ever heard it would be. God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then for 400 years in Egypt, they'd been dreaming about this land flowing with milk and honey. He said, it is true. Everything we've ever heard and dreamed about is true. There's lots of water, which meant life. It was better than any currency you could print, any precious metals you could find, because it meant life and life abundantly. It meant agriculture could thrive. They could consume the water. They could fish the water, transport on the water, and trade through those waters. Grapes, which were a big part of their diet, they said that they cut off one branch that was so big that two dudes had to carry it on a pole between them. Figs and dates, which would be the equivalent of sugar and candy. All us Americans know that we can't live without sugar and candy. Pomegranates, which were fruit packed with vitamins. And it said when it, when it says land flowing with milk and honey, and you see this several times leading up to this passage, it wasn't just a play on words. There was an abundance of bees in this area. And so that their hives would be so full and saturated honey that it would drip down on the rocks below and the humans could consume it. And when it says that there's overflowing with milk, it meant that there were so many sheep and goats in there that literally their udders were dripping with milk. So it seems simple, right? Canaan was everything God had promised it would look like for generations. What he had described that it was a fertile land flowing with this milk and honey was exactly that. And these Israelites are on the edge of this promised land looking in. Looking in knowing that this is where God wants us to be. They all knew it. God knew that this is where I intended you to be hundreds of years ago, right now to be in this land. There's nothing to consider here, right? No matter what obstacles could lie ahead, how difficult it could be, God would be with them just like he had demonstrated the few months before this moment. So let's see what they actually did here. But, ah, oh, man, here it comes. We know what's coming next, right? But the people live here are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. I can just imagine that they're whimpering when they give this account. And we saw descendants of Anak there. So the descendants of Anak might not mean anything to us, but the descendants of Anak was a race of abnormally large people. Clearly, Whitcombs did not descend from this tribe of people. <laughs> but many believe this is where the family of Goliath did come from. These fortified cities were some as thick as 20 foot thick, 
and as high as 25 foot tall. Think of Jericho, which is a few chapters beyond this. The guards could stand on top of these giant walls and see the countryside for miles away, so no army could sneak up on the city unprepared. And some of these inhabitants at this time were said to be as tall as seven to nine foot tall. I heard they had some amazing basketball teams. And these things struck fear in 10 of the 12 spies of Israel. We continue on. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there are of great size. So that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to let us only be fallen by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we just went back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of this land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Caleb and Joseph, or sorry, Caleb and Joshua, gave the minority report in Kadesh. But unfortunately, the entire Israelite assembly chose to join the chorus of the fear that the ten immature, spiritually immature spies started. And the results were devastating. God punished their lack of faith and their disobedience and were sentenced to 40 years of wandering in the desert until everyone 20 years old, excluding Joshua and Caleb, were dead. So here are some of the lessons that we can pull from the Israelites' pivotal stop at Kadesh. Caleb and Joshua focus on the opportunity and not the obstacles. They looked past their personal fears and remembered God's promises. The other ten, they focus on the giants. And Joshua and Caleb, they knew that their God was a giant killer. The ten spiritually mature spies worried about what could be, but the spiritually mature stood on God's word. The ten worried about the potential problems, and the other two remembered God's past performances. Caleb knew, Caleb and Joshua knew that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I know that I feel someone in this room is feeling God speaking to them today, and you need to hear these next few words. I'm going to declare this over each and every one of us in this room, that whatever is going on in your world, that God is going to rout the enemy, that those prayers that you've been sending up, God is going to answer them. But we need to focus on the opportunity to encounter God versus focusing on the obstacles. We need to look past our personal fears and remember God's promises. Promises to give you a hope and a future. 
that God is for you and not against you, that he will give you a peace that transcends all understanding, that God is faithful to forgive you. And if he's done it before, he can what? Do it again. That's a great song. Can I get an amen in here? Anybody believe in that? All right, good. Someone needs to hear this. I don't know who it is. Don't worry about what could be, but stand on God's word. Stand on his promises. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Don't worry about the potential problems that could be, but remember God's past performances. Because our God is a chain breaker. He's a walking on water type of God. He's the one that can part the sea, make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk, and bring the dead back to life. That is our God. Personally, in my life, I've had many times where I've come up on what I'd call these Kadesh Barnea moments. Moments in my life where I could continue on with the status quo, bumping up against the same friction and struggles, keep having the same fight and frustrations. I could keep beating myself up, continue to exhaust myself in worry or fear, or just to succumb to the pain and the tragedy in my life. Or I could choose to take the path that God has opened up for me. I could choose to cross the border of God's promised land that he had for me so that he could start fulfilling the promises that he has for me in my life. It's kind of like when I gave up drinking. Man, if you didn't know me, B.C., before Christ, you wouldn't recognize me because that hippie-haired teenage boy, he's, he's dead, he's gone. That kid, as a youth, would succumb to temptation and fall into peer pressure. I did so much stupid stuff. And if you know some of those stories, please don't tell my daddy. How you still whoop me? Don't look like it. I partied with the same crew for many, many, many of the nights. And when I met my wife, I don't know if I'd be the kid that I'd want my daughter to date. I knew that there was potential that I could be the man that she needed for the rest of her life, but I don't know if too many other people probably saw that in me. My mother-in-law did. I'll get to that. See, when I was rounding out my sophomore year in high school, I learned that my mom had terminal cancer. And I began this spiral out of control internally. Those nights spent partying got a little bit heavier and more frequent because I was trying to drown out the reality that my mother would never meet her grandkids. My mother would never sit at those birthday parties watching their one-year-old devour birthday cake. That my mother would never watch my brother coach state championship wrestling teams. That I'd live most of my life without my mom. But God does work in mysterious ways. Because six months before I found out about my mom's cancer, I had met my wife at a ball game, a basketball game. I don't go to those things. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so when I found out about my mother's cancer, I wasn't dating my wife at that time. It wasn't until six months after that that Steph and I started dating. My mom was a fighter. She beat that original diagnosis of four weeks to four months, and fast forward a year later, she's still alive. And that summer, I was on a trip with my wife's family, and my mother-in-law had the courage to evangelize to her daughter's boyfriend. If you know Deb Mumblethai, you can probably believe that. <laughs> C. 
See, I don't remember exactly what she said to me in that hotel room. I, I don't. But in essence, what she was telling me through the direction of the Holy Spirit is that there is more in this life than what I'm doing right now. There is more feelings that God wants you to feel than the ones you're currently feeling. There is more at stake beyond this lifetime. There's an eternity at stake. There is more that God wants you to do with your friends than what you are doing. So that day in a hotel room in Chicago, in the tiniest little bathroom in the world, because we want privacy, she led me to Christ. That day I acknowledged that Christ was the Son of God, that he went to the cross. He was killed, buried, and resurrected from the grave, so that whomever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life when they ask for forgiveness. That day I gave my life over to Christ. And that hippie-haired teenage boy, maybe he looked the same, but that kid, he was dead. He was buried. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you believe in Christ, you are in Christ. And he says, The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. But see, I wish I would have fully surrendered my life over to Christ at that time. I wish I would have fully surrendered my life over to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to be directed by the Holy Spirit's guidance, and to make sure when I hit those stop signs, I'd ask the Holy Spirit, which path do you want me to take? But I didn't. From that time on, so roughly 2004 to February of 2009, I would still drink on occasion. I would drink when out socially or when I was done grilling or mowing the yard. And it became a friction point in my marriage with my wife. She wanted nothing to do with alcohol, and she didn't want our home to have it or for me to partake in it. I disagreed. So each time we'd go through the same discussion, it often lead us nowhere up other than upset with one another. It wasn't until March of 2009 that I had a Kadash Farnia moment that I'll never forget. A youth student that we were close to was killed in a drunk driving accident, and that pastor on that Sunday said something in these lines that what our children see as due in moderation they will take to the extreme. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me. The Holy Spirit convicted me that I was done drinking. Not a drop more, and I I haven't since. I'm so thankful that I haven't. And it was difficult because all my friends and family that didn't understand why I couldn't drink anymore or to still have those urges for the first few years of like, I could really use this right now. But at that moment, I fully understood what it meant to surrender your life over to Christ. Not my will, but his. Not what I want to do, but what do you want me to do, Holy Spirit? Because of what he did, I will do what he wants me to do. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. If you believe in Christ, you're his disciples. Each and every one of us sitting on our boots right now, we need to strap up our boots Because he says that each one of us, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be a follower of me, you must deny yourselves and take up your cross. That means each and every day we have to die to ourselves. What do you mean take up your cross? I mean each day you got to carry that cross. you got to make decisions that are for Christ, not about Clint. And that's a tough thing to do. But see, when I was 16 years old, I was much like those spiritually immature Israelites saved by God's grace. Because I gave the redemption prayer. I was redeemed. I believe in Christ. I was saved. Just like those Israelites were saved from their bondage 
in Egypt. But I still wasn't allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my path, to guide my life, to put full trust in him. Just like the Israelites got to the promised land and they're right there and they didn't trust God. They didn't walk into his promises. It wasn't until that age 23 when I had that pivotal Kadash Barmia stop sign where I said, yes, I hear you and I'm laying it down. See, up to that point, I kept letting that old Clint keep tripping me up from the grave, grabbing my ankles as I walked by. And I had to bury that past once and for all. I had to give everything over to Christ before I could truly enter the promised land that God had for me so I could encounter the promises that God wanted in my life. See, I had to first understand that there is more for me in this life than what I'm going through right now. There is more in your life that God wants for you right now than what you're going through. It meant surrendering it all to the one who surrendered it all. So this is the final message in the seven-part series, There Is More. And I hope over the past seven weeks that you've come to believe that there truly is more for you. God doesn't want you to stay right where you are at, especially spiritually. That's what he's talking about here. There is more for each one of us. So what are you going to do? You're presented with a stop sign as an illustration here. But I'm sure as I've spoke through this message, each one of you thought about something that you've been deciding which way to go. That you maybe been choosing the same path over and over and you keep looking back on, man, I really probably should have gone that way. I don't know what that thing is. Maybe no one else does. But my encouragement is as you're standing here at Kadash Barnea looking at the promises that God has for you in your life, that you would trust him, that you would truly encounter the Holy Spirit today, that as we go here in prayer, that you would give your life fully over to Christ so that you can look back on your life and be so glad that you did. Looking back and saying, I'm so glad I made that choice because look what God has done in my life. Look at what he has changed, this old Clint, the old things that he experienced, the old things that he did is not what the new Clint feels and experiences now. He will give you that peace that transcends all understanding. You will feel loved. You will realize that God is for you and not against you. That he has plans to give you a hope and a future. God is so good. As we're presented here with our stop sign, what's your moment? What's that thing? What's that relationship? What needs to change? What direction do you need to take? So you can look back and not say, I wish I would have, but instead say, I'm so glad that I did. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. God, we thank you so much that you are a giant killer. <laughs> you can part the seas. You make the blind see the deaf hear and the lame walk and bring the dead back to life. You are a walking on water type of God. And if you've done it before, you can do it again. So I'm going to pray over these things in these people's lives sitting in this room and over my life and those watching online, those that are going to watch this podcast months and years down the road online. Whatever that is, I pray that you would have the courage to make the right step, to take the right path, to choose a different direction, to stop watching the one way going the wrong way and say, I'm going the right direction. I'm tired of following the crowd. I'm tired of going the wrong direction. I'm taking the narrow gate. Because wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. Today, I'm declaring it over your life. I'm believing it. 
If that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just raise up your hand that you're making a proclamation today. You can lift up those hands if that's you. If there's something in your life right now that you're making a decision, you're not looking at that kid no more. You're moving forward. Is there anybody else in this room? God, you're so good. I see those hands. You put them down. Is there others? Oh, God is so good. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that your will be done in my life and be done in the lives of those represented in this room in this space today. I pray for those that have never fully encountered the Holy Spirit that they would feel today, Lord, penetrate their hearts as we speak, put a fireball of passion within their bellies right now. I pray that as they walk out of this room from this day forward that their feet will not be the feet moving, but it will be the feet directed by the Holy Spirit's guidance. I pray for a mighty movement represented here in Waverly. I pray from this moment we'll look back at a Kadash Barnea moment for our church and see so many people choosing to take the right path to enter into God's promised land for them so he can begin fulfilling all his promises in our life. God, I thank you so much. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Clint. Praise God. What a powerful message for us to be able to respond to. And so every week we want to make sure that anybody in this room that needs to rededicate their life or ask Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior for the very first time to be able to do that. And so right now, some of you might be saying, I just need to make some changes. There's something that I need to go this way instead of that way. And some of you just need to be the first time and say, I need to follow Jesus. And so in this moment, we're going to say a prayer, and we're going to be praying it together. And all you have to do is just repeat these words and mean it with everything within your heart. And know that God accepts you, he loves you, and he'll forgive you. If everybody could stand. So if that was you today, just say this prayer. Mean it with everything within you. And know you're not praying it alone that we'll be praying alongside you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come give me a fresh start. Be my king, be my savior take over every area, take over every aspect, and help me from this day forward to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done. If you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, for the very first time or you rededicated your life, please text the word YES to 319-250-8998. Again, just text the word YES to 319-250-8998. We would love to follow up with you and encourage you along on your journey. Uh, the prayer team right now is going to be coming forward. And this is the time we always, at the end of service, we leave a song to be able to respond to the message or whatever God's going on, what's going on in your life. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe there's sickness in the home. Maybe you've been praying for someone that has walked away from Jesus and you just need someone to come along and pray with you. And so I encourage you to take this time and just give it to God. Maybe you raised your hand and said, I need to 
make a change. I need to go this way and not that way. Encourage you to pray with someone. Make sure to tell someone about it. Don't walk it alone. Walk it with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the worship team is going to come and lead us right now in this next song. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.